Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guest this week in the studio, Joan Hawkins, associate professor at Indiana University's Media School. She's here to talk to us about an event that's pretty much going to take over this city, Joan, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's going to be in a lot of venues for, um, certainly for the entire week of February 5th through 11th, but also starting already in mid-January. That is uh, the Wounded Galaxies 1968, Paris, Prague, Chicago. It's a festival, it's symposia, panel discussions, music performances, so much going on, all in recognition, in remembrance, as it were, of the year 1968. But also extending beyond that. I mean, one of the things we really wanted to do when we were putting this together was we didn't want it to be like a mausoleum show of, you know, th those were the good old, those were the good revolutionary days. We're looking at the whole concept of revolutionary aesthetics and where we might be able to go with it from here. We see today as a very divisive and polarized time, but you know what? It's got nothing on 1968 no. all over the whole world. Yeah. There was revolution. There was violence in the streets. There were assassinations. There were wars breaking out and continuing. Right. It was madness. It was. Well, right here in Bloomington, um, which is just astounding where People's Park is now, there used to be an African-American-run grocery store, and it was firebombed the day after Christmas, 1968. The KKK firebombed it. Uh-huh. And um, That was the black market? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yes, it was a very divisive time. Very, very divisive time. Scary. Yeah. Lives were taken. Yes, and uh, we know about some of the big things. Well, heck, uh, uh, there was Chicago. Right. There was Paris. Right. There was Warsaw. There was a huge crackdown right. on uh, student right. protesters. There was Mexico City. Hundreds were killed. 400 people slaughtered in Mexico City. Yeah. All over. It yeah. was unbelievable. And we're going to talk a little bit about that over these next few weeks. Yes. How did you get involved and why? Oh, well... Um, so I'm a member of the Burroughs Century when we formed back in like 2012 when we were trying to put together a festival to commemorate the uh, what would have been the 100th birthday of William S. Burroughs, the writer William S. Burroughs. And so we were doing this centenary uh, celebration. And after we finished the Burroughs Century, we stayed together thinking that we would continue to produce events that would be experimental film and music events, sort of loosely construed. So we did another event in 2015 that was a scaled-down event that we called Wounded Galaxies. Uh -huh. And then we were... And why? Oh, Wounded Galaxies, it's a quote from uh, William S. Burroughs' novel, Soft Machine. Uh -huh. And the whole quote is, across wounded galaxies we intersect. But so so we had stayed together and we were looking f um, toward 2018 to want to do something. Like, what were we going to do? One night we were at the Atlas. We were having a meeting talking about, well, what are we going to do for our next event? And Charles Cannon looked at me across the table and he said, you know, 2018 is the 50th anniversary of 1968. 
and time flies and our <laughs> eyes locked across the table and said yes we yeah. have to do this an epiphany an epiphany exactly wow well let me go back even further why burroughs he's one of the greatest writers of the 20th century in his vision especially as he moved further and further and further into science fiction he was almost foreseeing exactly what we are living through now. I mean, well, when you read the stuff that Burroughs was writing back then, and you think about what we have, what Al Qaeda, um, the you know ISIS. When mm -hmm. you think about all of the things that we're dealing with, the governmental crackdowns, the fact that we had now have a lunatic who is in charge <laughs> of the United States, all of this stuff. This this seems to like come out of a Burroughs novel, and seems like it would make perfect sense within the context of a Burroughs novel. Right. So for those reasons, Burroughs, he's um, he's sort of our patron saint, and he ties in. With this 1968 event, mm -hmm. yes. in large part because he was assigned by Esquire magazine, yes. <laughs> along with a couple of other notable fellows, I'll ask you to explain that all, to cover yeah. the Democratic Convention in Chicago in 1968, which everybody sort of knew was yeah. going to be a fiasco. Yes, and um, I always feel like... It, it, if you, it bears sort of going back to say, like, why everybody knew it was going to be a fiasco. Leading into the 1968 Democratic National Convention, initially, Eugene McCarthy was one of the main uh, people running for the Democratic nomination. Right. And he was the person who essentially was going to run on the peace platform. Now, the Senator from Minnesota. Yeah. Now, the story that I had was that McCarthy got in touch with Bobby Kennedy mm -hmm. and said to him, look, I don't want to run if you're going to run because we don't want to split the peace vote. Right. And Bobby Kennedy at that point said, I'm not going to run. Yeah. So Eugene McCarthy quietly began building a base. And this was the last, I mean, for to think about what 1968 was, so, we, you know, it had been this entire year already of a great deal of, of campus activism, a lot of uprisings happening. But this was like the moment like, okay, if the Democratic Party is actually going to run a peace candidate and they're going to talk seriously about ending the war in Vietnam, we will give electoral politics one last chance right. before we call for total revolution. I was in high school in 68, and I remember for whatever reason, the German classroom, the German language classroom became Eugene McCarthy headquarters at my <laughs> high school. So we would get together like at a quarter to eight every morning and do whatever needed to be done. And where was that? That was in, uh, it was Daly City, which is right on the borderline of San Francisco. Right. So Eugene McCarthy began picking up a lot of, he began winning primaries yeah. and he began picking up delegates. And at that point, Bobby Kennedy decided to enter the race. People transferred their allegiance over to Bobby Kennedy, so a lot of the money that had been going into the McCarthy campaign now was going into Bobby Kennedy's campaign. Yeah. So Bobby Kennedy is um, heading into California, right. the last big primary prior, June. prior to the Democratic National Convention, and he was shot. Now Bobby Kennedy is dead. Eugene McCarthy doesn't have delegates or money. The next person who has delegates going into the Democratic National Convention is Hubert 
Humphrey, Lyndon Johnson's vice president. Right. And at that point, we felt like the the rug had been pulled out from under us because, you know, Johnson had said, you know, I will not seek nor will I accept the nomination of my party for president. We thought we had, we had won. Humphrey was like Johnson light from where yeah. we stood. And that's why we knew that the Democratic National Convention was going to be a big, it was going to be a riot. And then you had the attention-grabbing yippies who... Yes. Uh, Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin, who yeah. made grandiose statements yeah. that scared the bejesus out of Mayor Daly, Daly. and everybody else. Yeah. You know, there was yeah. uh, the rumor that uh, LSD was going to be dumped in the water, water. supply, <laughs> yes, which know. scientists since have said well, it, it would have taken a fleet of dump trucks <laughs> full of LSD. From where we sit now, one of the things that is remarkable is if you listen to the speeches that were going on within the Democratic National Convention, I mean, they, they were, there were, you know, senators and congressmen were standing up and, and delegates were standing up and calling for the, the convention to end. Yes. Because they said, you know, we, this is, this is a travesty. Mm -hmm. How can we be meeting here to say, you know, to consecrate this democratic process that we have in this country when people are being, they're having their heads broken open in the street for exercising their democratic rights? You know, the uh, Constitution. the senator from yeah. New York, said Gestapo yeah. in the streets. Yeah. Into this sure to be exciting time, Esquire magazine sends William, Bur William Burroughs, Jean Genet, who couldn't even come into the country legally, so he had to be smuggled in via Canada <laughs> because he had a criminal record and because he was gasp, gasp. He was a homosexual. Which is and, worse. <laughs> you know, and Terry Southern. So you have these three madmen who are going to be covering this thing. Um, of the three, Burroughs was the only one who wasn't surprised. He was just, well, I told you. What'd you expect? <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Esquire magazine uh, last summer, uh, July 2016, ran a retrospective uh, of many of their issues. And the November 1968 issue of Esquire was the one with those three that you yeah. mentioned on the cover uh, talking about their uh, experiences in Chicago. And here's a quote about that, Esquire contributor John Sack was added at the last minute when editor Harold Hayes grew concerned his literary <laughs> all-stars might become too stoned, drunk, or otherwise incapacitated to come through. And they were gassed. Yes, they were gassed. In Lincoln Park. Yeah. On Sunday night, on Monday night. Yeah. Yeah. Scary stuff. And it wasn't yeah. only Chicago. Uh, there were barricades in the streets yeah. of Paris. Yes, definitely. There were national strikes. Yeah. And in Paris, it was it was an interesting kind of uh, corollary to what was happening in the United States, that there was a great deal of agitation against the Algerian War. Mm -hmm. There had been <clears throat> there had been plebiscite after plebiscite after plebiscite uh, trying to get de Gaulle to change his policies in Algeria. And he kept, he would always by the skin of his teeth, it seemed like he would win these plebiscites, and so the things wouldn't change. So there was a, a strike of the students that then dovetailed with a strike, a general strike, that the workers had of cross France had called for better wages and working conditions. And out of all of this, so the, um, the police were cracking down on the demonstrations that were happening in 
Paris. Violently cracking down. Yes, very much so. And that's where our... our, um, one of the me- meanings of our subheading for the for Wounded Galaxy 68, Beneath the Paving Stones, the Beach, uh, it refers to the fact that the students were digging up the cobblestones from the streets of Paris to hurl at the police and to use in building these barricades. But at, in the middle of all this, then de Gaulle said he was going to do a referendum. He thought that this would calm people down. Mm-hmm. And so he did a referendum, and this time he lost but instead, Pompidou, Georges Pompidou, was then brought in as president. So the same thing happened where the students expected, like, okay, there's going to be a change. And instead, what you get is de Gaulle light. It's the same version of co-option that we had here. And, and that was, like, on both sides of the Atlantic, you had this disillusionment with the whole idea of electoral politics and mm-hmm. this feeling like, okay, we tried it one last time this isn't going to work. And on both sides of the Atlantic, then you had moving into the 70s, really increased kind of terrorist activity. So you had the Symbionese Liberation Army here. Yes. And you had the Red Brigade yeah. and the uh, Badermeinhof gang in, uh, in Western Europe. In the year 68, you had students hitting the streets in Warsaw, Poland. Yeah. And they were cracked down on yeah. violently yeah. as well. Even more violently students in the streets of Mexico City. Yeah, 400 students were mowed down in Mexico. Right before the yeah. Olympics, by the way. Yeah, it was just, I mean, and and when you look at, like, Tarek Ali has a book about, I can't remember the title of it, but there's a book about 1960, and it, it tracks, like, all of the uprisings, and it's phenomenal. I mean, there were uprisings in Germany, in Italy, in Ireland, in the United Kingdom, um, in France, of course, and then in in Poland, in Czechoslovakia, Prague Spring happened Prague in '68, which was followed by the Soviet tanks coming in. Yeah, and then India, Pakistan, Japan, and all across the African continent, and then in Brazil and Mexico City. In yeah. fact, uh, the tanks uh, crossed into Bratislava yeah. right at about the same time uh-huh. uh, of the Chicago Convention. Convention, yeah. What a time. I know. It was it was unbelievable. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Lyndon Johnson saying, I don't want to run anymore. Yeah. He only did that three or four days before Martin Luther King, King was, was killed. King was assassinated. Yeah. Yes. And, and so um, it was a constant barrage of this kind of news. I know. I mean, from even like from the cultural standpoint. So the, the Cannes Film Festival was called off because mm. Cannes happens in May. Right. And so because May 68 was going on, the people who were organizing the Cannes Film Festival said, you know, it would be a sacrilege to have a film festival when the reality of politics is happening in the street. And we had to postpone the Academy Awards because of Martin Luther King's uh-huh, assassination yes. and and because of the uprisings that followed the Martin Luther King assassination, which, w- again, was the same thing. Like, Martin Luther King was, um, you know, people had people were beginning to feel already that perhaps his path of nonviolence was not exactly working. Right. And so you had the rise of people like Malcolm X who were saying, you know, by any means necessary. Yeah. Um, and Stokely the, Carmichael. Yeah. Yeah. But when Martin Luther King was assassinated, it was like like that again. It was like almost like a throwing down the gauntlet. Like this was the guy we put forward who was willing to work with you people and to try to, uh, who was willing to accept the idea of a, of a slower change, of change that would take time and was willing to negotiate with you. And he's killed. Yeah. And now, so 
you know, you reap what you sow. You kill him, what are you going to be left with? You're going to be left with violence. Or as Malcolm X said, the chickens come home to roost. roost. Exactly, exactly. Now, what is going to happen here mm-hmm. in remembrance of this uh, <sighs> honest horribilis? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so not, so not only in remembrance, but also, as I said, looking forward to where we can perhaps go from here. If 68 seemed to us at the time to be, if we don't get this, if we don't resolve this now, it's this could be the end of civilization as we know it. Yeah. And I think we're we're all feeling that way again now. You know, this guy with the with his preponderance of tweeting yeah. is could lead us directly into a you know a nuclear war. His rashness. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, so what's going to happen here? So we're, we're going to, we have a film series that's curated by uh, Jay Hoberman that deals both with political films, like political documentaries, but yeah. also with fiction films that have a kind of um, revolutionary bent to them. So things like Night of the Living Dead, George Romero's Night <laughs> right. of the Living Dead. Um, Jean-Luc Godard's La Chinoise, um, Otto Preminger's Skidoo, which he he, right. he dropped acid before he made the movie. <laughs> so we're going to have that. We have a, an art exhibit opening at the Eiffel Gallery of Ricky Ducournay's work. She was a she's a surrealist writer, and she was kind of a figure through in the '60s and beyond. There's that Steely Dan song called "Ricky Don't Lose That Number." Uh-huh. It was written to her. Yeah. Um, there's also going to be an art exhibit at the uh, Wells Library uh-huh. that is uh, artist Ward Shelley is going to be doing his work. Right. We have. Um, a, a series of, or an exhibit of special materials that have been given to us by a, a private collector who has been collecting situations, material by the French situationists for years and years and years. And, and who are the situationists? Ah, okay, so there was a group of people in France. They started sort of post, I want to say post-World War II, but they really got going in the 50s, led by a guy named Guy Debord. And they... They were a Marxist group, but what they rec- they recognized the influence that mass media was going to have on our lives. Yes. So one of the things that Guy Debord talked about was the fact that uh, we have become so colonized by the spectacle, by this by this confluence of images that just bombard us every day, that in our most in those even in those moments, our most intimate, our most private moments, when we think that we're our most uniquely us, that we that we're not that mm. that what we're doing is we're replicating what the capitalist system wants us to. So he would say, you know, even even when you're having sex with somebody, you think that this is like you down to the most bare, direct, naked person you can be well guess but guess what you're replicating some hollywood image of what love is supposed to look like and so he said that the that so he said that you know there isn't a whole lot of he didn't even really believe that there was a whole lot of chance for revolution like writ large but he said that what you can do all is not lost because what you can do is you can disrupt the machine and so you can create situations that open like a wormhole that stop it for a second and and open a wormhole through which people can sort of, they can see the matrix mm-hmm. for, for a second. And then it might close again, but just even that second is enough to like, whoa, what was that? Give us a glimpse. Yeah. And he also, um, 
He also advocated what was called um, uh, detournement, so where you would take already existing material, movies, advertisements, whatever, and you would change the text. So one of the films that we're showing at Monroe County Public Library is called Can Dialectics Take Bricks? And it is, it's a martial arts film. But the soundtrack has been removed so that instead of the usual kind of soundtrack you would have for a martial arts film, you have these things about um, the capitalist pigs and, <laughs> and, and the rising of the proletariat. It's, it's hysterical. It's very funny. You know, this makes me think. All of these revolutionary impulses. Yeah. We don't have that now, do we? Well, yeah, we do. I mean, we have okay. we have culture jamming. We have um, when the Women's March happened last year at this time. That was a moment like who would have thought, you know, women knitting these crazy little pink caps and how the many we, caps. Yeah, and how many women were actually going to show up in Washington. And this was before we even knew exactly what Trump was going to do. But just this kind of feeling like we're we're going to mass to show that don't don't mess with us yeah. essentially don't mess with us and and it's interesting that you know we started the year with that with this strong statement by women like you know we're n we're not going to go back we're not going to go back to the kitchen and we're not going to go back to uh you know patriarchal politics as usual and we end last year with this now you know tearing the mask off of sexual harassment right. uh, sexual mis misconduct sexual violence in the workplace all of these things that women have known about for years and years and years and years and that are finally getting public play and where people are actually losing their jobs so that bit is working that bit is working so I should go back though to oh, finish yeah. out what what else we're doing. So we have um, so we have these art exhibits and the special exhibit at the Lily. There are going to be a lot of musical events in town. And one of the things is that you don't need to uh, register for the conference to go to the art exhibits, the movies, the musical events in town. So Anea Lockwood, who's a classically trained composer and musician, mm -hmm. will be here. We'll be playing some of her music at the Jacobs School. But most exciting is that on Wednesday night, February 7th, I think it is, mm -hmm. um, she will be uh, recreating a piece that she created in 1968 called Piano Burning. And that involves actually physically setting a piano on fire. Yikes. We're going to do that in Dunmeadow. Uh -huh. And so people can, obviously, I mean, it's in Dunmeadow, so nobody's going to be ticketing. You can't buy tickets to go to <laughs> Dunmeadow. So people can come and see that. And uh, we're also, we don't, since especially we don't know what the weather's going to be like, we're going to do a live uh, video feed of it into the big commons area of Franklin Hall, which is the big building right by the sample gates. Yes. So that if it's too cold to stand outside and watch, you can go into the big a commons area, and you can see on we have these large television screens in that room, and you can and you can watch from there. So we have her, Ken Vandermark is coming from Chicago, avant jazz performer, right. and he's coming with Philip Sutterberg, and also with Dwight Frizzell, who is coming with his uh, KCAI Sound Art Collaborative, hmm. and um, so that'll be a really interesting night of avant garde jazz and kind of s sound and noise music. 
And then we have uh, the muttering sickness yes. on Saturday night, which is a, a really interesting group that is um, David Schneiderman is working with a bunch of musicians. And what he's taking, he's taking actual footage of the Chicago 1968 convention and the uprising outside. And then that gets... Um, that's being cut up and and edited in with other kinds of with music, with other kinds of sounds that are being um, from other uh, other uprisings, but also readings, um, kind of spoken word pieces, and I think some just improvisational response to the event. I, he was here in 2014. He's a wonderful performer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should add that Dwight Frizzell was also here in 2015 uh-huh. with a different group. He was doing Myth Science that year, and that was like one of the festival highlights that year. And then we have our, um, you know, our academic conference and symposium. So two days full of uh, panels and speech speakers and lectures. We have three keynote addresses, and those addresses also, likewise, you don't have to register for the full conference to mm-hmm. come hear them. So Grail Marcus, the yeah. rock critic from Rolling Stone, is going to be here talking about 68. Mm-hmm. Um, Mackenzie Wark, Mm-hmm. who is, now he's affiliated with the New School. He's from New Zealand originally. Yeah. But he's written several books on the Situationists and knows a lot about this era. So he's going to be speaking. And then Anaya Lockwood, I think, is going to be giving a public art lecture in Monroe County Public Library so people don't even have to go up on campus to hear her. Who else is... Uh putting this on. There's you. There's mm-hmm. Charles Cannon. Charles Cannon. Tony, Tony Brewer, who is the chair of the Writers Guild at Bloomington. Mm-hmm. Peter Lopolato from The Writer. Mm-hmm. John Vickers from IU Cinema. There's a wonderful uh, graduate student from the music school, Rachel Whitcomb, who's been working with us. Gabe LaBelle was working with us. He was a, a guest faculty member last year. And uh, Paige Rasmussen from IU Press was yes. working with us, and Dahlia Davuti from the English department was working with us for a while. She's right. moved to Chicago, so it's been a kind of. But the main core has been me, Charles, Tony, Peter, and Rachel. This is Wounded Galaxies 1968, uh, the main meat of the program, festivals, symposia, so forth, February 5th through 11th. It's been going on already for a couple of weeks, Uh, started back in early January uh, with a pre-conference festivities slate that will be open in large part to the public. Right. Uh, There also will be closed events. So the the, uh, academic conference and symposia, you need to actually register for the conference. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of the events are including like the piano burning and the keynote addresses, those are open to anybody. And all these fabulous movies and music performances. And there are a lot of free things, and the the films are ticketed. But uh, the Ricky Ducournay exhibit, which opened on uh, on, – February 2nd, as, mm-hmm. as part of the First Friday Gallery Walk. It's still up in the Eiffel Gallery. So, yeah, so that's still going. Ward Shelley's exhibit is still up. We have, and the exhibit that's in the Lily is still is still going strong. So this is a wonderful, it's been a wonderful time. It's been 50 years, yes. believe it or not, since 1968. 
And that's Joan Hawkins, Associate Professor at the Media School at Indiana University. She's one of the people who's making this thing go. Joan, thanks for joining us on Big Talk. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Mark.